Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. All right. So it's like kind of rolling hills. It's pretty. Okay. Ah! I just heard a gunshot. That makes you jump. You've been seeing a lot of first-time gun owners in here? Yeah, quite a few. You know, a lot of new first-time shooters, first-time gun owners are coming in buying guns. Did you ever think that you'd find yourself in line buying a gun? No. This would be the last thing I thought I would do. 48 years old, never crossed my mind until the election came up. And uh, I just started getting nervous, just like everybody else did. I mean, every time you drive by here, there's 12 people in line. It's got to tell you something. Will you just describe where... Hello. Can you just describe what it looks like? Okay, so we are just in a uh, open grassy field. We have a table um, at the firing line, and we're just going to be setting up for four shooters at a time. Just take a deep breath. That's all. Just take a deep breath. Can I ask you, why do you, why do you think there is so many new gun owners? Um, People are scared. It feels like a life and death situation, really. I think if Biden wins, the you know the Proud Boys are going to come out. If Trump wins, I think that's where we're going to have a massive problem. It's really all up in the air. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. We just don't know who's going to be president and what's going to happen afterwards. You know. But you're arming yourself just in case. Yeah. From the New York Times, this is The Field. I'm Elise Spiegel in North Carolina. And I'm Andy Mills in Washington State. How should we start? Reed, do you want to go through what you have kind of come across? Yeah, I can talk if you want. Um, So I have spent the last couple weeks, I guess, however long this started, talking to people who are concerned about really bad things happening around the election. Uh, So a couple weeks ago, Andy and I called up our colleague Reed Epstein on the politics desk. We'd been hearing about concerns swirling around the possibility of violence around this year's presidential election. 
And we were all trying to better understand what that was about. You know, I talked to academics and people at think tanks and corporate security consultants. So Reed had gotten on the phone with all sorts of different professionals. People who are in charge of keeping polling places safe and maintaining security at facilities where they're actually going to count the ballots. To sort of check the pulse of all these different people. People who monitor domestic extremist groups, uh, former State Department and Homeland Security officials. Whose job it is to think about stuff like this. And all of them were saying that they're taking extra precautions for this year's election in a way that's different from years before. Right. There certainly is, is more emphasis on security uh, a lot of people were very concerned that if there's not a decisive result on Election Day or the day after Election Day, and there's weeks of uncertainty that follows, that there could be a problem or that the losing side mounts some sort of major protest event. There is a concern that something violent could happen. Uh, and a lot of these people that I talk to are either making contingency plans or urging others to make contingency plans to be prepared in case things go haywire. And then there was this other thing Reed had been hearing about, something much more tangible. Eight out of the 10 biggest weeks for gun sales since the late 90s in the United States have come since March of this year. Since the start of the COVID lockdowns in the U.S., gun sales had been breaking records. You know, it's not uncommon for gun sales to go up before a presidential election. That happened both before and after Barack Obama was first elected in 2008. But this time around, not only is it conservatives who might be fearful that a new president might take their guns away, but a lot of folks from across the political spectrum who are arming themselves for the first time in this country. Ah. Whoa. Could you say a collective, whoa? And so we set out to learn more about this group of people who were all buying guns for the first time. People on the left. And people on the right. Test, test, one, two. This is Andy Mills in Seattle, Washington. I am standing today outside of a gun store called Linwood Gun, which is uh, just north of the city proper alongside a pretty busy highway and out in front of the store there are several people lined up uh, getting ready to go in and i'm going to go see if any of them will talk to me hello sir mind if i ask you a couple questions while you wait here my name's andy no, but i want to answer questions so a couple weeks ago I spent several days going around to different gun shops on the outskirts of Seattle. Are you, uh, by chance, uh, newer gun owners? No. Uh, I've had guns since I was 12 years old. Walking up to people in these long lines. Have you noticed an uptick at all in newer gun ownership over the past few months? Yes. It's hundredfold. Everyone is coming to buy a gun. And right away, I was seeing exactly what Reed had just told us. Caesar, are you a first time or a new gun owner? Yeah. Yeah? Could I ask you a few questions about why? A ton of first-time gun buyers. I've always believed in the Second Amendment, but I've never really felt the need to have a gun. And an incredibly diverse group of people. I'm seeing Indians getting guns. Have you noticed that? I've seen Asian people getting guns. I've seen African people, liberals. Everybody got guns. How are you going to live without them? Do you yourself uh, define yourself as politically left or politically right? Mm, 
typically to the left or libertarian sometimes. I would say politically center-leaning to the right. Some a bit to the left and some a bit to the right. I'm on the right, but I'm not on the far right. You know what I mean? I, I'm praying Trump gets in. He's really our only hope. Some that liked the president. I'm going to vote for Biden. Some that did not. I don't want to vote for an asshole like Trump, but we have a generation to protect our kids. Some who were not first-time gun owners, but who were thinking about guns very differently in this moment. I've owned guns for years, but I just recently, for the first time, purchased an AR rifle, uh, you know, partly because of what's going on. But I came to Seattle to hear from people who were out buying guns specifically because they were worried about the possibility of violence from the political left. I think the left, while they talk a lot about freedom and rights and this and that, I think they're more oppressive. I think they're more closed-minded. The left claims that the right is intolerant, and the right would say the left is becoming intolerant. You know, if you have an opposing opinion, then you're somehow racially motivated or you're a right-wing wacko. What, what particularly do you point to to say this is raising your concern? Riots, yeah, urban riots. If that starts spreading out into the suburbs, I want to be in a position to defend myself and my home and my family. Here in the Seattle area, a lot of people pointed to what had happened in the region over the summer. You have a lot of suburbanite people that have seen looting, assaults, you know, stopping of people's cars, damage, I mean, burning up of stuff. Where protests turned into riots and the Seattle City Council moved to defund their police department. They're there to create anarchy. And for a time, a group of protesters actually took over a section of the city. You know, this isn't a bunch of hippies smoking dope and listening to music at Woodstock. These are armed, dangerous, violent people that are destroying property. They don't have good intentions. They're not, they're not improving society. And they said that they saw this as sort of the most flagrant version of a larger trend that was happening throughout the country. The mob mentality, when you see groups of people showing up at politicians' homes or even the chief of police's home, makes some of the average people fear that if their opinions or positions aren't well regarded that they're going to have a mob outside their home. What positions or opinions do you feel like are not being allowed right now? For anybody who speaks positively against Trump, um, which for the record I'm not on board with Trump 100%, but at any rate, if you speak out positively for him, you're demonized, you're basically, it's cancel culture, you know. People are being fired for what they say here and there. Like you're, if you're white, we're, we're evidently privileged. You know, and we're automatically the KKK. If they don't like your opinion, they'll go after your livelihood. They'll go after your work situation. They'll, they'll make your life miserable to get their way. And that's escalated to the point where it might not just be somebody judging you, but it might be something where you need to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like if I go to the grocery store, you know, I'm not going to have somebody rip me out of the car or put a gun at my face. And you, you've gotten to the point where you're nervous that there are fractions of the left that would do something like that. I would say so, yeah. Once you say it's okay to punch a Nazi, and then you paint the other guy as a Nazi, well then boom, it's okay to kill a Nazi. You know what I mean? And then, then you're a hero. You know, I, I don't want it to happen. Hopefully they don't have the guts. You know, hopefully they're all living in mom's basement, you know? But you just don't, you just don't know. I think that they are pushing for a contested election so that they can ferment a civil war. Yeah. 
I don't ever want to shoot anybody, man, but, you know, to protect myself and my mom and my dog, man, you know, I, I guess if someone was trying to get in to harm us, I would. One of those anxious people that I met in one of those lines actually let me go over to his place. All right, so so where do you keep the gun? So I keep the gun in a safe. Uh, it's by our bed. And, uh, to explain a little bit more about what it was that brought him out to the gun store. It's a quick combination. And um, I've timed it, and I can basically um, take it out, load it, and theoretically aim it uh, in 10 seconds so far. You've gotten a few practices in? I have. Uh, I, I got a security consultant to come here, and he's also, you know, one of the uh, trainers at the range. And uh, so, he, you know, he was like, practice. He's like, even five minutes a day will really add up. So this is one of the things I practiced. What kind of gun is it? So uh, it's an AR-15. Um, and um, this one is sort of, a, I would say, sort of like a middle-of-the-road price point. Uh, the dealer talked about how, you know, if you, if you spend extra, it will last longer. Um, and sort of in the mood that I bought, I didn't feel like cost was an object. Um, it's got your classic iron sights and your optics. He had just purchased an AR-15, a semi-automatic rifle, what the NRA actually calls America's most popular rifle. There's uh, the, the bolt action is supposedly more durable. I am definitely the wrong person to ask about these things, though. You're still learning. I am very much, very much. Can you uh, load the gun and show me how it works? Sure, absolutely. So, um, you know, the standard procedure is that you've got the gun in the, the ready position, which can be either angled slightly upward or slightly downward. We want upward for loading the gun. And so um, I pull back the charging handle, lock it back in. And so now we're just going to take out the clip. We're gonna insert it, tug to make sure it actually stayed in. And now, press that, a live round is in the chamber. Safety's still on. Wow, that's pretty quick. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. It shows that you've been practicing. Uh, well, my instructor will be pleased. I've enjoyed learning about it. Here, let me help you pick up these bullets. Oh, he put his gun back into its safe. Before we move on, I know that you wanted to keep some things private, but yeah. would you, what, what would you be comfortable telling me about um, yeah. with your education and your, pro your professional life? I, I thought about this uh, because I didn't want to identify myself too much. Um, and I we walked over to his living room. I currently, I, I will say this, I work in tech. You know, that doesn't narrow it down much in Seattle. Um, but I think that sort of being identified as having sort of any right-leaning beliefs right now, and especially owning a gun, I would be very afraid of losing my job if that became public. And after explaining that he was nervous about possible consequences of sharing his story, he began to lay out how it is he came to be so anxious about this political moment. Can we just start at the beginning? Uh, where sure. did you grow up? And what was your experience like in your home uh, around politics and specifically around guns? Yeah, sure. Uh, I grew up in... Um, 
kind of all over the Midwest, um, but mostly rural South Dakota and rural Minnesota. My parents are both highly educated, you know, at least sort of very liberal for where we lived at the time. Um, now that I live in Seattle, I, I think about it a little differently, but uh, they were always sort of the Democrats in arguments with the rest of the Republican family at Thanksgiving. Uh, I definitely have some memories of that. He says that even though he knew lots of conservatives, he and his family were in line with the political left. You know, gay marriage, you know, that was a very important issue for me. I, I still believe that sort of there should be a single-payer government option health care. Like, I think that would be a good thing for this country. Including issues about guns. My father and my mother and I, like, we all believed in gun control. And my dad still doesn't own a pistol. Uh, every gun that he owns is a hunting gun. My dad loved hunting. Uh, he would take me hunting and fishing as a kid. And, um, you know, when we thought about gun control, it's like, well, you know, why do you need, you know, why might you need a pistol? Or like, why might you need, well, the AR-15 that I own now? Uh, definitely, you know, that would have been something that we didn't want. Walk me through, as you got older, um, first, like, how you saw yourself politically as you kind of came into your own, mm -hmm. and whether or not guns played any role in that along the way. Sure, sure. Um, I definitely identified politically as Democrat. The first time I was eligible to vote was the 2008 election, and I voted for Barack Obama. I definitely identified as a Democrat, I mean, really... Honestly, in, until sort of this whole COVID thing came about. And so up to this point, he's basically been in alignment with all of the big progressive issues. But when it came to the handling of the coronavirus... I will say that I think the initial shutdown, there's a really good case to be made for it. I don't think I would have done it, but we didn't have any masks. We didn't have any testing. How else are you going to try to check the spread of the virus I think by June, though, we had masks and we had testing, and yet people were still arguing for lockdowns. And I'm like, you know, can we at least let young people go back to work? He just disagreed with the conventional thinking, and he felt that there wasn't really any place for him to give voice to that. When I would say things like this, or when other people would say things like this, it uh, the the response was always like, you are not an authority that we trust. And I would say, okay, but there are other authorities, you know, who are saying the things I'm saying. And they're like, well, we don't trust them either. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, is being authority really the problem or is it just not saying what you want to hear? That's the problem. That's what it felt like. Okay, so as the COVID lockdowns are happening, you're finding yourself feeling like you're arguing with people who usually feel more like political allies. Definitely. I mean, um, you know, I have, a, I have a group of really close friends and um, the discussion last year was, is Bernie the right candidate? Are there any other candidates who are good enough for us? And um, um, I'm one of two in the group. The other who has the same training that I do, we're both questioning the, the COVID stuff. And he says that part of all this is that as the lockdown wore on, the effect of the lockdown, this thing that he didn't even agree with in the first place, he started to feel it. I'm a very introverted person. And so honestly, for the first month or two, you know, I felt great. I was like, wow, like I don't have to commute to work. Like I have all this time. Um, but I think that the isolation sort of did get to me 
Uh, it, it took me longer than most, but it did get to me. And when he started talking about this with one of his friends, I'm like, you know, it's driving me crazy and I just feel trapped. And he said he was going through the same stuff. He's like, you know, I'm feeling a lot of stress. He's like, but when I find myself getting caught in it, he's like, I force myself to turn it into action. This friend suggested that, you know, he finds some way to take back some control of his life. You know, and that was when I realized, I'm like, oh, like I have lost my sense of individual power. And recommended to him that he consider buying a firearm. And so I made the decision to buy a gun. And so that was the plan. And then George Floyd died. A protest over the death of George Floyd started peacefully, but has turned very destructive tonight. Then there were riots in Seattle. My wife and I got a notification. The city sent out a mass text that was like, there's a curfew in effect. And we're like, what's this about? Then my wife starts checking her phone and she's like, there are riots downtown. Here in Seattle, demonstrators threw Molotov cocktails at cars and buildings, causing multiple fires. Some threw fireworks into peaceful crowds and at police. From his perspective, these protests in Seattle were terrifying. We looked up where it was, um, sort of like a half mile from where we used to live. Swarms of people. There's property damage here. There's injuries and clashes with the Seattle Police Department. Let me step out of the way. They're just like a cop car was like totally trashed. And like there were police, but they were taking like defensive positions. They were like afraid to engage this crowd. Police are, are not 30 feet away, maybe 60, uh, keeping the line of protesters back uh, as firefighters work on these burning cruisers. Nobody is intervening as these people enter this business here. I mean, it was, uh, the word that comes to mind is anarchy, just like a total loss of order. Stand back! Do not fucking get near me at all! So I realized, I'm like, if a riot happens, you are essentially on your own. We have reports of multiple officers and civilians injured. A number That night, that Saturday night, sort of, you know, after my wife and I were watching this unfold, totally sleepless night. You know, I lay in bed and I thought about what would happen if, like, someone just, like, blew up the front of our house, like they'd blown up the front of those storefronts and just stormed in. I just thought about how bad I would feel if that happened and my wife were hurt or killed and I hadn't done anything to prepare for it. Today I was like, well, I need a gun that can handle a riot. So first thing in the morning, I just, um, like, I called the place. It took me a while to sort of get a human. They were very busy that day. And they're like, they're like, look, like, you got to hurry. We have a big line. <laughs> and so I got in the car and I just, you know, drove out to Bellevue. Uh, and uh, that's where I got my gun. That's where I practice now. And that's where I met you. So at first, he says that he doesn't really think that much about it. You can't just buy a gun. There's, you know, a two week, usually a two week waiting period while the background checks are run. So I was like, okay, like, there's really nothing to worry about. This is probably just going to, like, collect dust, and that's okay, you know. It's like, now I have it, I've checked that box, and I can, I can stop worrying. But it's just after he buys this gun 
This is Seattle's so-called Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, several blocks of the city now taken over by protesters. That's when the protesters take control of that section of Seattle. A section that actually turns out to be just a few miles away from his house. After several days of violent clashes between police and the protesters, officers retreated from the area to de-escalate the tension, effectively abandoning their station. And from his perspective, just like many of the other people who had met in these lines in front of gun stores, this was a step beyond what he thought was even possible in America. Breaking news in the so-called Capitol Hill organized protest zone. There's been yet another shooting early this morning. Protesters. So eventually, of course, I think at least one person was killed in the autonomous zone. Horace Lorenzo Anderson. He was murdered in Seattle's autonomous zone on June the 20th. And so finally sort of the mayor felt obliged to, you know, end it and and send in the police to, to break it up. After several weeks. After several weeks. It, it took a while. But there was still talk of defunding the police. And all of this just left me wondering, like, what is going on? I've many times wondered if I overreacted. And um, I'm still sitting on no. It's definitely possible, but if I've overreacted, I'm not alone. I mean, I know several people who have have told me, like, yeah, when the city council said they were going to defund the police, I, I went out and got a firearm. What's keeping you up at night at this point? Just that it could happen again. Like when the election occurs, um, it, it just feels like whatever latent craziness was there, you know, exploded before it could explode again. When you are practicing shooting your AR, mm -hmm. uh, when you are doing these maneuvers in your bedroom where you see how fast you can load it and have it ready, mm -hmm. Who pops into your mind as being on the other side of that gun? The thing that I most visualize is I see them coming through the front door, which is maybe kind of dumb. Um, but I'm picturing, I'm picturing a mixed race group. So like, um, definitely a combination of white and black people. And, um, after seeing the riots, yeah, I'm worried they're left wing. That's, that's what I'm seeing. It really sounds crazy to talk about civil war in this country. Like, I, but, it, you know, it can't happen here. Famous last words. Every meal we eat has a history and a future. And on Next Bite, a new podcast from Chobani, we'll hear from changemakers in the food world, like Native American chef Sean Sherman. I want the next generation of kids to have better access out there, and I want to see a lot of education around why their indigenous ancestors' knowledge is so important when it comes to that connection of the world, the connection to the plants. Hear how Sean is revitalizing indigenous foods on Next Bite, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm so excited about tonight, so. In early October, I went to visit three women who'd gotten together for dinner and drinks in Durham, North Carolina. Does anybody want Marlowe? Their plan was to order Chinese and gossip, and then they were going to get to bed early because in the morning, 
They had to get up at the crack of dawn to drive way out of town to this day-long training. Wait, what is this? Just explain. Uh, this is a thirty-eight. It's a revolver. Who does that belong to? Belongs to me mom. She let me borrow it for this class because I didn't buy one yet. I'm still <laughs> toiling with the idea of if I really want one. It just still doesn't... I just still feel like I have spent my whole life saying I would never go buy a gun. Like, what business do I have with a gun? So it's like having to get past that. They were going to a gun training, something none of them ever expected to be doing. Of the three women, Nikki was the only one who had any familiarity with guns at all. She identifies as mixed race and politically independent, but she grew up in a rural community, and her family, which is mostly white, is extremely conservative and owns guns. And she told me the things she's been hearing from them recently really put her on edge. There's so much fear. Like, my my friends and my loved ones are so afraid afraid because they feel like once the election happens, like there are going to be riots in the street and people are going to just be like breaking down people's doors and their businesses. And their reaction to fear sometimes is violence. And that's scary to me. Are you afraid of what will happen with the election? I already know that shit's going to pop off after the election. Like, I don't know that afraid is the word just because I think everybody's just preparing you know, when you see when when you see people who are legitimately talking about another civil war, like and not one or two people, but like truly quite a few people, just it's, it's it weighs heavy on like my spirit and like my soul. So, gun training. What time are we leaving tomorrow to go to this shooting thing? Because I can't be hung over shooting a gun. Well, we only have a little bit of wine. Okay. I had a huge bottle of white Moscato. Did somebody take my wine? Nobody take the wine. It's gone. We drank it. <laughs> the two other women at the party, Ashley and Terika, were a black couple whose relationship with guns was maybe even more unlikely and fraught, particularly Ashley. Guns were kind of forbidden in my household. My mom would never have allowed me to, to shoot, and she didn't even like for me and my sister to play with water guns, so... I just never, I never, never really wanted to be in the presence of one or have one. They gave me anxiety. In fact, it wasn't until she was 27 that she saw a gun for the first time. I was working in a venue and the security guard needed to go to the bathroom or outside or something. And he just unholstered it and put it on a stool next to me and said he would be right back. And he just left it laying there. And I just started, you know, my, my hands were kind of trembling a little bit. You know, heart palpitation. I was sweating, like, I know what these things do, and it's just right here. And, like, all these things were going through my mind. Almost like a, an irrational fear, like, this gun is on the table, and it can magically go off. Like, yeah, I never, I never pictured myself, like, wanting to, to own a gun. And... You know, that's how things stayed all through her 30s, through the Obama administration and the election of Donald Trump in 2016. Actually, Ashley says that when Trump was elected, she wasn't really worried. I didn't really think too much of it at that particular time. Um, It was just more, I guess, shocking and surprising because, you know, he was the dude from The Apprentice and he had the funny hair and 
said all this stupid stuff and it just was like shocking that he was elected it wasn't like oh i gotta get a gun because trump is president it, it wasn't it wasn't like that but then there was charlottesville and i just remember those guys with the the torches and like right by their faces and just kind of marching in unison and also in the image of you know, the car driving through. A car barreling down the street. That's 4th and Water Street in Charlottesville. And there was a lot after Charlottesville. Loved ones of Breonna Taylor grieving and outraged. We report again tonight on the fatal shooting of Ahmaud Arbery. This case is George a, Floyd a repeatedly told the officers that he could not breathe. Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. For Ashley, it wasn't just the horror of so many Black people killed at the hands of police. But also the fact that when people took to the streets to protest this injustice, she saw scenes of them being met by white counter-protesters, people she associated with the right, carrying guns. We're also learning more tonight about the 17-year-old from a neighboring state now accused of opening fire on protesters. Two were killed. These people aren't playing around now. It's more than just sitting online and saying racist stuff in the comments on uh, news articles, these people are now showing up the places and with the intent to cause people harm. Even when the protests were about COVID, people protesting the lockdowns, Ashley saw the same thing. One day she turned on her TV. Police positioned themselves on essentially every corner around downtown Raleigh this morning just to keep the peace. And saw a group of people, a bunch of white people pretty much, walking the streets of Raleigh, the state capital, with assault rifles. It felt like a huge threat. Then finally one day, Ashley saw something she hadn't really seen before. I think the exact moment I, I knew I had to buy a gun was watching um, the NFAC, which is the Not Fucking Around Coalition, which is a basically an armed black militia. We here. Where the fuck you at? We in your house. Let's go. And they were counter-protesting to the KKK and white supremacist groups who were trying to rally in Stone Mountain, Georgia. And so there were like thousands of black people with guns, like, marching. Threat, counter-threat. Because threats don't mean shit to us. NFAC, motherfucker. Black people aren't encouraged to openly carry or to bear arms. And there's lots of reasons for that. And there's consequences to us for doing that that aren't there for white people. And it was, it was, it was powerful to me. We haven't really seen black people showing up armed and not aggressively, just walking around just like the white supremacists do, just like you have a right in this country to do. So finally, after months, Ashley goes online and buys a weapon. Can you show me your gun? Uh, so it's a Canic 9mm. <clears throat> that holds 14 rounds. Honestly, I just wanted to get it fast as I could because I was starting to get nervous that it would be harder to get or a longer period to wait. And so I just bought one to have one with the intention of, you know, 
going and practicing more with different kinds to find one that I really, really become one with it, you know. In fact, the gun still feels so alien to Ashley that she practices just holding it in her hands at least twice a week. Sit on the bed and kind of hold it and, you know, take the clip out and, you know, just stand up and put it from hand to hand and look through the sights. But Ashley isn't just getting comfortable with the physical feel of the gun. I was once the type of person who would think, like, I could never shoot somebody. I could never do anything to defend myself in that type of way Um, because I just was never... I never felt like that type of person, but, like, the older I, that I'm getting, like, I've, I don't really feel that way. Like, I'm, I'll, if it's me or somebody, like, it is going to be me. Wait, what do you mean when you say that? If I feel threatened, then I want to feel empowered to defend myself. And I've made myself okay with what that may mean. It definitely wasn't an easy decision, uh, but... Um, that's, that's kind of where I, where I am with it. You have repeatedly we, criticized the, the vice president for not specifically calling out Antifa. I spoke to Ashley shortly after the first presidential debate. To condemn white supremacists and militia groups. And it was clear that watching the debate had only given Ashley more reason to believe that her fears of what might happen might actually be realized. What are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I, it. Do it. Say it. You know, they asked him about the Proud Boys, and he said to tell the Proud Boys. Listen, right, Proud, Proud Boys, boys stand back and stand by. And then a few minutes later, he mentioned something about his supporters going to the polls. Will you urge your supporters to stay calm, not to engage in any civil unrest? President Trump, you I'm go first. I'm urging my supporters to go into the polls and watch very carefully because that's what has to happen. I am urging them to do it. All that is just encouraging people to be to, to be intimidating. If I see tens of thousands of ballots being manipulated, I can't go along with that. And I'll tell and what, you what, what from mean, a common sense, does that mean you're going to tell, tell your people means. to take to it the street? It means you have a fraudulent election. Like, he used that entire debate to illegitimize the election so that if he does not win, he can rally up his, his his supporters to respond to that. They cheat. They cheat. Hey, they found ballots in a waste paper basket. They all had the name Trump on them. That is scary because, like I said, they know how to get guns. They have access to them. They have them stockpiled. Like, these are people that have been preparing their whole lives for something to pop off, and they're just waiting for the word, and he's telling them in so many words, I'm going to give you the word, and if I don't win this election, you know what to do. Do you think that the, that the other side is as afraid of you as you are of them? Um, I don't think the other side... I think the other side has been kind of conditioned to be afraid of us their whole lives. So, yeah, yeah, I'm sure they they are scared, but it's not even us. It's like a it's like a figment of their their mind. 
Right before dinner, Ashley and Nikki sat in the living room comparing guns. Nice. See, is it hard on your thumbs? Pop that clip out. No, yours isn't bad at all. No. Terika, what are you shooting, love? I'll shoot it. Um, okay. Oh, uh, whatever gun they give me, but hopefully it's a 45. I mean, anything else I'm scared I might cry again. Terika, Ashley's girlfriend, was worried about the morning. She and Ashley had actually gone to a shooting range a few months back when they first started thinking about this, and it hadn't gone well. I thought it was going to be all cute, like, you know, like Charlie Angels. And just like, you know, I was practicing my poses, like, you know, the whole ice cube thing from Friday. But then, you know, when I shot it, it just got really real, really quick. Terika says as soon as the gun kicked back. Ashley, did I cry like a baby? She started bawling uncontrollably. Ugly cry, like I almost dropped the gun and it won't on safety cry. And I just was shaking, my whole body was shaking from the top to the bottom. But even though the first time was a little bit traumatizing, Terika was going to give it another go in the morning. Is there something specific that you're worried about? Um, I'm definitely worried about the election. I'm worried about being black. I don't want to be a sitting duck. Before I left for the night, the three women gathered together in the living room for a toast. Yeah, what are we toasting, y'all? <laughs> Cheers to guns. We all being very brave going to take this class tomorrow. Yes. So. Yes. Mm. <sighs> In the morning, we all meet at an outdoor range. The class is Ashley, Terika, Nikki, and five other women. The training is run by this organization called Girls on Fire, which specifically trains women of color and apparently has a waiting list of 80 people. All the women mill and chat as the trainer and her assistant get things organized. They lay out guns on the table while explaining there's now a massive shortage of bullets. Ammo is really hard to find. Um, yeah, I tried to get some yesterday. Even, they only had you know, Even us with having a class, we almost had to cancel because it was so hard to find the ammo to use. It's a beautiful day, and the sun is out, and Ashley seems fine. But before the training really gets started, I notice her girlfriend, Terika, is visibly jumping every time a gun goes off. She seems terrified, and after a few minutes, she breaks away from the group to go to the car, and Ashley follows her. (laughs) It's just making her nervous, but she'll be all right. She just got to calm down. Terika sits in the car, trying to steady herself, and eventually gets out and makes her way to the table where the guns are laid out. How are you doing? Um, I'm scared from the noise, but... I could do it. Mm-hmm. Man, I could do this shit. I'm going to do it. Terika gets a gun and positions herself in front of the target, the silhouette of a man. You did it. How did it feel? He's dead. <laughs> Once Terika finishes, it's Ashley's turn. She picks up the gun she got online but has never actually used and stands in front of the target. Can you just explain what you're doing now? Oh, I'm just staring at the target, readying myself, trying to channel this anxious energy. It's a good anxiety, but 
Still anxious. All right, ladies, I want you to drop your safety. All of Ashley's shots land inside the body of the silhouette. There are neat holes dotting the man's chest and abdomen. But as she lowers her gun, you can see that her hands are shaking. Look, your, your hands are trembling. My hands are trembling. But I mean, it didn't impact my shooting, clearly. <laughs> she goes through another round of shooting and another. And by the last time, you can see her hands barely shake at all. since I was 21 years old, I'm 43 years old. And see, as a black man in this country, when you see us with a gun, you feel intimidated. And I'm tired of this shit, I'm an American. You understand, I was born here, I served in the United States Army. On one of my last days of reporting, this thing happened while I was standing in line, talking to people in front of one of these gun shops. I'm tired of, I'm not a second-rate citizen, I'm a citizen. I was talking to this guy in line who was wearing a Black Lives Matter hoodie. I encourage every brother who can legally carry, get a motherfucking gun. Get as many guns as you can afford, you know, because you know what? The police are here to protect and serve, not to harass and abuse. This is not a police state at this point. You understand me? And as we were standing there... Like, see, you're a white guy. You probably ain't never been fucked with by the police. Another guy... Screw your mama, you hear me? I'm not, I'm not even talking to you. See what I'm telling you? Who was white and tall and had a shaved head and a big goatee, he started shouting at him. I'm not talking to him, though. Okay. <laughs> the whole line got quiet. And all the tension was heightened by the fact that both of these guys, and actually most people in this line, were armed. Do you have something you want to say? I said it. Okay. Eventually, I walked over and I asked the guy if he had anything else that he wanted to say. The movement, the movement is bogus. He said that Black Lives Matter was bogus, but then he waved me away, didn't want to talk to me anymore. So eventually, I just went back over to talk again with the man in the BLM hoodie. Yeah, your message is now is is a good time to get a firearm. What I was just saying is, though, We don't, I mean, that's your right. That's a right. Your driving license is a privilege. This is a right. You understand me? I think you should exercise your right if you want to. Some people don't believe in guns. You know what I'm saying? I didn't believe in guns. You know what I'm saying? Until somebody broke into my house and stole my kids' stuff and everything. So I bought a gun. You know what I'm saying? I feel you have to protect yourself from criminals. Everyone in this line was still quiet. Like, they were just standing there looking at us and then looking over at the man with the shaved head. I just want to make sure we don't escalate tensions too much with this yeah. gentleman, but I, I also don't want you to be robbed of your point of view. I appreciate yeah, but no, I'm good. And then that guy, who was just so angry seconds ago, he walked up to us. Everybody, this America, everybody got their opinion. If he feel a certain way, you know, that's, that's how you feel, you know what I mean? Yeah, and but I mean, but the thing about it, man, we should talk to each other like human beings, You're brother. Right. I, and I, you know what I'm saying? Apologize. You know, and that's I, I apologize. And that's the thing I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't hear what you were even talking yeah. about. No, I, I saw the thing in the back of your deal, and, and I got in there. I, I just, I okay, and I apologize for it. No, I'm okay with. That's why I argue. And he 
apologized. I regret it. I, I get I get hot tempered sometimes, and, and it wasn't him. It was I didn't even hear what he was saying to you. I just saw the the Black Lives Matter thing, and, and we don't need this garbage, this contention. This we need to talk if there's any problems. He said that he was just outraged because he saw this guy's Black Lives Matter hoodie, but then he suddenly felt really bad about how he had acted. And then the two of these men shook hands. How much tension this world is under. This could have been ugly, but now we're talking. See, because that's that's, we're humans. We're civilized. So we can sit down and talk like we're talking, like this man talking. You see, see what I'm saying? And that's the thing. That's the only way everything going to get better. You know what I came to do today? To buy some bullet. <laughs> all I want to do is take care of my family. That's all I want. If somebody was attacking you, I'm going to stand up for you. I would do the same. Because you know what? You're my elder. You know I respect. And this brother right here? Brother, if I saw somebody attacking you, I'm going to attack him. I'm going to help you. We Americans, man. And see what you just did? You almost called something that wasn't worth it. Intuit is creating jobs for communities in need. For Sandra and Morristown, Tennessee, jobs have led to more optimism and opportunities. What really sets Intuit apart is they truly care about people. If you give someone an opportunity, their life will get better. And being able to see that affect my community in a positive light has been amazing. Learn how Intuit, the makers of TurboTax, QuickBooks, and Mint, is creating jobs for communities like Sandra's at Intuit.com possibilities. Here's what else you need to know. J'ai décidé qu'il fallait retrouver, à partir de vendredi, le confinement qui a stoppé le virus. On Wednesday, the leaders of both France and Germany announced broad new restrictions on their citizens' movements in order to beat back a deadly second wave of the coronavirus. J'ai confiance en nous, en vous. Confiance en notre capacité à surmonter cette épreuve. France is reimposing a nationwide lockdown that would close most non-essential businesses, including bars and restaurants, severely limit travel outside the home, and ban public and private gatherings. Besonders hoch ist Wir erleben einen exponentiellen Anstieg der Zahlen. Germany will close all restaurants and bars to customers, require sports teams to play to empty stadiums, and shutter gyms and theaters. Mit Verdopplungszeiten, die sich weiter verkürzt haben. With infections rising rapidly across Europe, multiple countries are returning to the kind of sweeping shutdowns that they introduced in the spring to prevent hospitals from becoming overwhelmed with infected patients. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Wabaro. See you tomorrow. Why does quicksand work so slowly? 
Question everything. That's what Hyundai did. It's how they created the all-new Hyundai Tucson, with available innovations like a huge 10 and a quarter-inch infotainment screen and digital key technology, allowing you to use your smartphone as a spare key. And you always get Hyundai's complimentary maintenance for three years or 36,000 miles. Test drive the 2022 Hyundai Tucson at your nearest Hyundai dealer or learn more at HyundaiUSA.com.